Let's go to the uh, Carmex Maker Hotline. It is a Visit Wednesday, after all. And uh, Brother Andre Marie from St. Benedict Center and the host of Reconquest Radio is st- standing by. And we'll uh, talk a little Wisdom Wednesday here on a Wednesday. Imagine that. Uh, Brother Andre, good morning. How are you? I'm well. How are you today, Mike? Or I should have said, Bienvenue, les amis. Bienvenue. <laughs> uh, you know, in New Hampshire, when you get into New Hampshire, the the the, the signs say "Bienvenue à New Hampshire." <laughs> There's a, it's in French and English. Is it really? Kind of neat. Yeah. So I wonder. Uh, now I learned this the other day at uh, the because there are a lot of New England French around here. You know, French Canadians that came down into England and in New England and just stayed here. Yeah, that's right. Um, now, you, you were invited to come to the uh, the event this past Saturday at the uh, La Nouvelle Louisiane. Uh, it was a great event. I, I think you really would have uh, you would have added a lot to it uh, for sure. But I think you would have really enjoyed. <laughs> it was it, it, it was. I a- wanted to come. I was I was invited to give a talk, and I wa- I really really wanted to come. But this week was supposed to be the trial of the century in fact it was supposed to start today and um but because that trial and and everything um surrounding it has turned into a rather revolting soap opera um it's it's being pushed off and we don't know when it's going to happen what trial of the century which trial of the century or to which are you referring uh delair v Voris. oh oh is that this, oh that was supposed to be this week it got delayed and I'm a witness. Yeah. Oh! <laughs> I was deposed and everything. Um, I knew you were deposed. Yeah, and, and it, it got delayed because, I mean, I, pro- I shouldn't talk about it on air. Well, you don't have to. It's, don't it's, worry. When I say it's turned into a post, it, when I say it's turned into a soap opera, um, it's, it's uh, yeah, you could make a soap opera out of it. It's uh, bizarre and absurd. Um, so, it, anyway, we don't know. We don't, there, there was a, the, the court wanted to have a, Late October date, Delaire's uh, lawyers, or no, yeah, Delaire's lawyers were agitating for a January date. <laughs> so it's just, it's, as, as you might say, it's going on and on and on. It's going on <laughs> and on and on. In any event, one of the uh, direct descendants of the Acadians that, that came to the event um, came to me afterwards and, and said, look, I, I, I'm not trying to pettifog you. <laughs> but a lot of people don't know this part of the history. Uh, so, and I knew part of it. He goes, but it was it was only named Nova Scotia, New Scotland, after the English claimed that they owned it because they sailed by and went, "Oh, that looks like something we would like to own." What do you think, Mortimer? Oh, yes, I think the king would very much like to own that land. Well, then why don't we claim it? Oh, yes, let's. That's pretty much what they did. I'm exaggerating a tad, but not much. Um, and then afterwards, when the French protested, uh, methinks me he doth protesteth mightily. After the uh, French went all Shakespeare and stuff and protested, the English went like, oh, yeah, well, we're just going to rename it. We're going to call it uh, Nova Scotia, New Scotland. You know what it was called before? And I didn't know this. I think I might have heard it once. It was called Acadie. Yeah, Acadie. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. yeah, that's and that's where we get Cajun because... The, the people from Acadie are Acadien, 
and Acadien gets corrupted into Cajun. That's exactly right. Um, and I had forgotten that it was called uh, Acadie. Now, there was so little bit of discussion about the root or the origin of the word of the term Acadie. Uh, one Cajun guy was insisting that he thought it was Greek, and another one was like, <laughs> and he goes, that's a Greek word. I'm like, I don't think that's a Greek word. And another one was like, no, no, that's a, uh, that, uh, that's a Mi'kmaq Indian word, actually. It means plentiful. It means bountiful. Uh, however it happened, the Acadie made their way into New Hampshire. I did not know that. Why? Well, that makes sense, though, to me. That's not far. Well, well what I said was it was French Canadians that ended up here. I don't know if it was the Acadie. Might have been some, though, was, maybe. But uh, but w w I'm talking about a much later diaspora. So um, they, these came down during during the 19th century. There was a, there were economic problems in Canada, and the, the they worked in the mills in New England, and there there are a lot of little mill towns up here most of whom don't have the mills anymore, uh, but they still have a lot of people with French names. In fact, New Hampshire has, in, in New Hampshire, the, the, the clergy historically were either French or Irish. And um, for instance, the, the, there's a historical church uh, in, in Manchester, which is the state capital, very close to the, um, in fact, it's right across the street from, um, Catholic Medical Center, which is one of the big hospitals in New Hampshire, and uh, it's called St. Marie's, and it was supposed to be the cathedral when, when, when the Manchester Diocese was carved out of the Boston Archdiocese. Actually, it may have been carved out of Maine, but at one time we were all... so. What, what's now Portland, Maine, which is all I think all of Maine, mm -hmm. and Manchester, New Hampshire, which is all of New Hampshire, uh, was all part of the Boston Archdiocese. So when these got cut out, trimmed out, um, they they had to have a cathedral, right, in these new dioceses. So uh, in Manchester, the, the 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 first bishop was appointed. Uh, he was he was of Irish descent. And he came and he was told by the clergy, well, this is going to be your cathedral. And it was St. Marie's. And he said, no, I'm not going to make the French church my cathedral. <laughs> so they built St. Joseph's Cathedral, um, not too, too far away. And St. Joseph's Cathedral, it is a beautiful church. Uh, but St. Marie's is kind of a historical church, and it's, and it's always French. And tons of our priests in this, in this diocese have French names. And, well, grown. Um, well, he's not a diocesan priest. He's an import. I know, but um, he has a French name. He's not a diocesan priest, and he's not from New Hampshire. He's from France. Ah, I'm, I'm okay. talking about actual oh, okay, diocesan priests in New Hampshire who uh, who are front natives to New Hampshire. Got it. But they're they're New Hampshire French. So there's a lot of there's a there's a huge French influence here. We oui. and, and and in New England in general. Ah. Uh, well, that's interesting. Uh, Michael Matt said something in his talk. I don't know. Have you ever met Michael? I know you went to a CIC. I've, I've met Michael, yes. Okay. He, <laughs> he, uh, uh, you know, he, he published a book that was basically researched by Michael Davis called For Altar and Throne. And it was all about, and I didn't know this, but he and Michael Davis had spent, uh, had gone three summers in a row. They went to the Vendee doing research. 
and talking to people that were descendants of uh, some of the generals, uh, going to the church where the holy martyrs of the Vendée ultimately were burned, which was covered in vines when they discovered it back in, in, in 1990 or so up in there. Um, uh, learning about, uh, and the, the peoples tell this story, I know I, I heard the story while I was there, about the, uh, the, the officer that they used or that they convinced to become the officer general, basically of the of the army, the rabble in arms, if you will, the Vendee, whose name was Charette, and that Charette was a uh, he had actually been over here. He'd fought in the American uh, the American Revolutionary War, and so he was the only one that had any military experience. Um, but he told the, uh, the the story, and I think I may have heard this before, but I I, I maybe I didn't internalize it. Um, uh, and it was just fascinating to me. You know, the French, the French, the the, the Constitution Congress basically was passing these edicts, and they were demanding that Catholic clergy were would basically take this thing called the oath, right? And a, a priest that would take the oath would, would become a juring priest, and a priest that would not take the oath would become a non-juring priest. Well. Almost all of the priests uh, who serviced the men, the men and women and children of the Vendee refused to take the oath. They were non-juring priests. And the oath basically, uh, I never read it, maybe you have, but basically renounce your, your ordination and say, you're not ordained by, by, by Jesus Christ as a successor to the apostles. You basically are ordained by the, the French government now, as it were, the revolutionary uh, uh, government. And so the people of the Vendee didn't want, because they were very faithful and devout, they did, didn't want the jury, uh, the non-juring priest. Did you know that on the, the, the day before her execution, Marie Antoinette was told that she could, that she could have a confessor, and uh, they had one who was ready, and she, go, and she said, well, I, want only, I will only confess to a non-juring priest, and they wouldn't give her one. Yeah, how kind. Yeah, you yeah, know, how wonderful kind. But a spy made his way into the uh, the Bastille or whatever it was. That, well, it wasn't a Bastille, where they were keeping her and Louis, and told her, look, <clears throat> when you pass by a certain window, say that, you know, you got to fix your makeup, whatever, and stop. Look out the window and look down. Father will be there, a, a non-juring priest. He's going to give you absolution. Just go ahead and and uh, go ahead and make your confession as if he's here, and he's going to give you uh, a, a absolution. I just Matt knows so much about the French Revolution, that part of it with the Vendee stuff I had never heard before, and he got fired up about it. He also said that uh, uh, one of the, the things he <laughs> he said he told Ross McKnight, folks, I'm going to publish. I have Michael's permission. It's already up on Remnant TV if you want to watch it. He put it up Saturday night. He was so excited about it but i'm going to publish it as a podcast uh, on crusade max and on the new christian daily he also he, he said he, he got so, so fired because the hall was packed brother you've been to the hall twice the tlm hall imagine yes. a line outside to get in wow that's how many people were there michael said he goes you people don't realize what you're doing here <laughs> And he meant that in a good way. He's like, the, the, the men and women of the Vendee, oh, they kept telling the, the, the French Revolution government, they told them, look, we'll pay your taxes. You want to tax? Fine, taxes. Go ahead. We'll pay it. 
Just leave us and our priests alone. That's all we want is to practice the faith. And, of course, the Illuminati went, no chance. Uh-uh. No deal. And this is why the uh, the whole thing happened. And he and he and, and Michael said, you know, and I didn't know this. Apparently, there have, there's an ongoing and continual effort in France, officially speaking, to never admit the genocide of the Vendée, or even that the killing actually happened. That, uh, that the French government, there have been people that have actually been arrested, and have uh, have been uh, quarantined or held in jails or what what have you, because they have said, look, we need to get to the uh, to the UN or to the Hague, and this thing needs to you need we need to admit we need to confess the sin. This was the first uh, genocide. We committed it here, and it was against the Catholics specifically. It was against the Catholics of the Vendée. People need to I think need to realize this, brother. And I know that my friend Daniel. Robidon, who made the movie, I don't know if you've ever met Daniel, Hidden Rebellion about the Vendée, Daniel had told me something uh, to this effect, that the world still will not admit, and the French government will not admit, that it was the government of France, the, the, the Constitution, the Revolution government, that told those soldiers, go do what, go do what we told you to do. I do know that the, that the guy that was in charge of the French Republican Blues, I'm not going to do this unless you give it to me in writing. Unless you order me in writing to go kill women and children, I'm not going to, I won't do it. And he did, and they did, but they won't admit that it was the genocide. So the first genocide was not the Holocaust. It was not the Armenian, which was another purge of Catholics, right? The first genocide, as we call it, genocide, was from the French government against the Vendée, Catholic men, women, and children of the Vendée. And what a story that is. And Michael Matt was like, you guys are treading on some ice here that I don't think you realize that you're treading on and even bringing this up. Um, uh, and God love you. And he even told Ross, he goes, Ross, keep your stipend. I'm here on the, I don't, I, don't, I, I just want to be a part of this, is how uh, uh, fired up he was. Anyways, it was a great event. I'm sorry you missed it, brother. I hope you can make the next one. Yeah, I hope so. It's it's hard this time of year. It's the beginning of school, new you know, new commitments and everything. So, uh, 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 brother, you want to talk a little bit about the story that you sent me about uh, Mitford Brains Romney uh, and uh, about what actually happened and how? I see the uh, how homo marriage began in Massachusetts. Apparently, there's uh, some fiction that's being woven about this, and uh, apparently. Mitt for Brains Romney is primarily the bad guy of the story. Well, so Joe Doyle, I mean, hopefully when, when I would suggest that the next time you have Joe on air, I will. You, you can do a deep dive on it with him because he sure. can really, really uh, do a deep dive. But uh, a new book has come out um, by a, the lady who is the r director of research for mass resistance, um, are you familiar with mass resistance? I know about it. Yes. Okay. So the the gentleman, he's actually a, a, a Jew, and I think I think probably most of his friends are Catholics. Um, Joe Doyle is kind of close to him. Uh, Brian Kamaker, he heads up mass resistance, and he's an incredibly feisty and uh, militant guy. He just doesn't back down. He's 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 um, well, I would say ruthless, but 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 he's on the on the right side. Uh, I mean, not on religious questions, obviously, but he's on right side, the right side when it comes to pro-life and pro-family stuff, especially the pro-family stuff, especially the um, the LGBTQ, LMNOP, uh, you know, indoctrination 
program in the schools and in libraries and all that stuff. And I mean, he's been given, I mean, they've, they've launched all kinds of lawfare campaigns against him and everything. And he just, he's like, he's like the uh, Energizer Bunny. He just keeps going. And, um, you know, he's one of these Jews that you look at and you say, you know, that's like Saul of Tarsus before he, he got knocked down on the road to, to uh, Damascus. Not that he's doing evil things, but he's got that kind of energy and that kind of, you know, indefatigable um, uh, strength and verve to just sort of go after the, the goal with gusto. Okay. Uh, unlike uh, many of us who, who just, you know, we, get, we easily get the wind blown out of our sails. He's just, he just keeps going. But anyway, so this lady who is the director of research for Mass Resistance came out with this book very recently. Her name is um, Amy, it's a very Italian name, um, Amy Contrada. Um, and she's the director of research for Mass Resistance. And um, she tells the story in this book, which is called Corrupt Bargains, How Gay Marriage Began in Massachusetts. Uh, she tells the story uh, very, docu very documented, very accurate, very um, uh, detailed and, 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 and annotated and all that. She tells the story of how it was really a, um, a deal behind closed doors with fake conservatives in the person of your beloved Mitt and uh, the LGBTQ lobby. And there was, a, there was a pretense in the public sphere that there was, um, good, they were going to go, that, that they were going to oppose it, right? That the, the uh, because this is when Mitt was the governor of Massachusetts. So um, the, the pretense was Probably, probably because Mitt thought most most Republicans, uh, not just in Massachusetts, where, where most Republicans are social liberals in Massachusetts, from what I am aware of, most of them are. This is why they vote for guys like what was named Deval Patrick. Um, they, they they're very the last uh, three governors, brother William Well, Deval Patrick, and Romney were all social lib, lib yeah, as you yeah, described so, them. And I think that's just that's just the nature of Massachusetts Republicans. Um, Anyway, uh, so the the uh, they're they're okay with voting for somebody who's pro queer, pro whatever, uh, abortion. But when it comes to if since Mitt obviously had his eyes on bigger, you know, national politics, he probably didn't want to get uh, tarred with that brush of being pro LGBTQ. So he he basically shadow boxed out in public, and they pretended that they were opposing it. So the, the Republican WASP ascendancy was pretending to oppose this thing, but they didn't actually oppose it. Um, and behind the scenes, some really nasty stuff was done where people were, you know, they basically said, look, this is the law in the books, but we're not going to follow it. And they forced people, like they forced um, justices of the peace to give marriage licenses to homosexuals when it was actually against the law in Massachusetts to do that. I remember. And if, if they weren't, if they didn't do it, they would get fired. And this was, and this was one of Mitt's um, close associates who did this. Um, uh, so, and, and he did it, you know, it, it, Mitt was all complicit with this. So that's the that's the kind of the the, the thirty thousand foot view. It, it's it's not just 
you know, the homosexuals, let's face it, they're a tiny minority of the population. They're a tiny minority of the population. So why, why should they have that much influence? Well, their influence is completely outsized because, first of all, it's obviously a, um, a, a way of, it's a sledgehammer against all traditional Christian values, period. I mean, um, abortion similarly, but homosexuality, and I think in a, in a very special way, because it kind of gets to the heart of the very nature of man, and the, the, the Catholic Church's uh, anthropological worldview, right? What is man? You know, what, what, what is the purpose of marriage, right? So your, your, your social liberal, whether he's got an R or a D behind his name, doesn't agree that the purpose of marriage is to, to uh, beget and educate children. That's the, that, that's the primary purpose of marriage. They don't believe that at all. And they don't want that, and they want to stamp that out. So, um, you know, congratulations, Mitt, you launched a war against the family. And um, all, all of the, you know, everybody's like, oh, but he's a Mormon, you know, and they don't believe in that stuff. Well, no, I think, he, I, I think, I mean, in spite of the fact that Mormonism itself is k kind of a comic book religion, um, <laughs> and I say that lovingly, uh, aside from that, yeah, they are, historically, they have big families. Even setting aside the polygamy, that's an obvious joke we could make, but even setting that aside... They tend to have big families. I knew Mormons when I was growing up. I went to school with a Mormon, and they tended to have big families. Brigham and, Young certainly had a big one. Yeah. <laughs> a really big one. Yeah, well, again, you know, polygamy was part of the thing <laughs> then. But, you know, when Utah applied for state, statehood and they were told, well, the polygamy thing won't, won't, won't work, you know, you won't get statehood. Well, then the president of the Mormon uh, church, or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as they called themselves, um, who's always a prophet. You know that, right? The, the president of the Mormon church. He's the prophet, right. Is always a prophet. He's he, so, he the, uh, he the descendant of Joseph Smith. Yeah. Da -do, da -do, da -do, da -do. When I say prophet, I mean in the, in the strict sense, because we say a, a bishops have a prophetical office, the pope and the bishops have a prophetical office. But what we mean by that is that it's an office of teaching teaching in matters uh, pertaining to divine revelation. But what they mean by it is prophet in the strict and proper sense of somebody who's actually getting supernatural revelation. So they believe in this thing that the Catholic Church doesn't believe in, which is that there are continued public, re what we would call theologically public revelations, that there are continued public revelations in the church. We don't believe that. The Catholic doctrine in the matter is that with the death of the last apostle, St. John, all public re revelation ceased, and that the positive of faith, the deposit of faith is sealed, right? So that's Catholic Church teaching. But the, the Mormons, like the Quakers and certain other sects, believe in sort of ongoing revelation. And the, the Mormon... Um, prophet slash president, they call him presidents, very American. The, the president of the Mormon church got a revelation suddenly that the time for, for um, polygamy was over, which was very convenient because when they reapplied for statehood, they were granted it because the Mormon church officially got rid of polygamy. Well, brother, I know a little bit about this. It was the fifth application. Fifth, okay, there you go.
Four well, times they went, well, we edited it. And went, no, nah, you got to, no, no. And finally, they went, all right, all right, we took it out. It's gone. And then finally, Congress uh, accepted. Imagine what would have happened if Utah, landlocked Utah, would have remained the Utah Territory Republic. With Mormons running it. What a fascinating Philip K. Dick sci-fi novel that would be. <laughs> I have a trivia question for you, Mike, since you love to put me on the spot on where someone's you got it. if I knew stuff. <laughs> Can you name the Catholic priest that there's a statue of in Salt Lake City right outside of the great temple of Salt Lake? Um, I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna throw it. I was just gonna guess Unipero Sierra because he might have been near there. But no, I can't. Uh, Father Desmet. I know this. Have you ever heard of Father Desmet? I have. Okay, so he was a great. He was one of the great black robes, and uh, there's a great book on him published by Tan Books and Publishers, and I, I'm assuming that it's still in print. Um, he was this this beefy, strong kid. He's from Belgium, and um, you know the, the Smed is a Dutch name. So you know half the, half of the Belgians are Walloons, and half of them are Flemings. So half of them are French speakers, and half of them are um, they speak this Dutch dialect that's proper to Belgium, okay. and kind of like the South Africans, but. Um, He's he's uh, he was called Samson when he was a kid because he was so strong, and just just this 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 like uh, what do you, what do you call it like a a fire hydrant type build you know short and 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 just strong sturdy, and um, you know the kids would 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 have contests to see who you know who was stronger and he was always winning. Anyway, uh, he became a Jesuit. And he became a missionary here in the United States. And he, he, when the, when the um, Indians from, or I should say the Native Americans from the Pacific Northwest, actually, it's the first time in missionary history this happened, at least, at least in the New World, that something similar happened in Korea. But it was the first time that, that the natives sought out a missionary. So they went from the Pacific Northwest, they walked across dangerous enemy territory, then they came to St. Louis. Hmm. To look for a black robe because the, in their trade, you know, we don't think of it th this way, but the Indians didn't stay put. They, they they moved around an awful lot, and in fact, there were migrations of Indians before the white man ever came here. But the the um, the uh, so they were the nomadic. Tr they of. traded with each other an awful right. lot too. Right. The tri different tribes that were at peace with each other would 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 ha have uh, trade, and it. And this, of course, was sort of like a grapevine for news and for information. And the p tribesmen of the Pacific Northwest, there's the Nez Perce, the Flatheads, and some other tribes up there, they heard about the uh, black robes and the, the gospel that they preached. These were unbaptized, quote-unquote, savages, and I think they were real savages. Um, and they heard about this. And they were interested. And the black robes didn't come to them. They went to the black robes. They went to St. Louis, which was the, the, the Jesuits had, had you know, a big setup there. That's where they had, they had established themselves. And uh, their remnants, I mean, you can see graves of hundreds of Jesuits in, in, in St. Louis. Not unlike, 
near, very near where the conference was just this past weekend. Um, there's a bunch of dead Jesuits uh, in the soil um, about where the school miles. Is. Yeah, where the school is. Yeah. The seminary it used to be the seminary. Sacred Heart, uh, Sacred Heart Academy is there. Yes, and, 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 and there's a girls' school there, and there's a Jesuit novitiate there. And anyway, there's, well, there's a girls' school down the road uh, run by the Madams of the Sacred Heart. But uh, long story short, um, Father Desmet went, was, was one of the Jesuits that was sent to go on the mission to bring them um, the gospel. And he was a tough guy. I mean, like, like the Braves would jump out at him with tomahawks in his face. And he'd punch them out. <laughs> he actually, two braves snuck up on him to sabotage him, and they didn't intend to kill him. The, apparently, it was, there was just this sort of dominance thing. Like you know, you, we have these we have these dogs around here, these these animal guard, guardian dogs, and they will fight to like two females will fight to establish dominance. So the sisters are very careful about which dogs they keep which with which other dogs, because. One of them's got to be the alpha bitch, and if if she's if 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 she she has to assert sorry that's the right word if she has to assert her dominance she will and it will get it will get ugly, so they have to separate some of those dogs um, because they're fierce even though they're sweet the sweetest dogs you want to want to meet because the, because they're sweet to humans and they're very tender with their uh, with the animals they're guarding but when there's a predator they're they're deadly. <laughs> Uh, that's why you have them. Anyway, um, the 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 Braves were like that. They wanted to establish dominance. They wanted to 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 show that they were tough. And two of them leapt out at Father Desmet, and he grabbed the tomahawks out of their hands, and he and he wrestled them to the ground, beat the poop out of them, and he said, "You go to your friends and tell them a black robe did this to you." Hmm. <laughs> and what happened was what happens in the animal kingdom respect mm -hmm. right and uh that's how he won a lot of them ah. so he, he converted a bunch of them because they're like this this dude's tough you know we, we we admire this i mean they would look him in the eye and he wouldn't flinch that was a big part of of the of the intimidation you know uh and and how how they established dominance but he he uh he was a tough guy but you know what happened was when the great mormon trek west was happening they didn't know where they were going to go. They were just moving to go out west. He, he, they, they encountered him. So the, the Brigham Young and the gang, when they were on their way out to, they didn't know it, Salt Lake City, uh, they encountered Father DeSmet. And Father DeSmet told them a good place to go. So they actually owe Father DeSmet that he told them where to go. Um, and, and and this is a place where they could establish their their um, colony or whatever you want to call it their their um, encampment or their, build their city. Um, now I don't know enough about I don't know if it's if there's anything in Father Desmet's correspondence is writing about this, but uh, they honor the Mormons actually honored Father Desmet with a statue in Salt Lake City right near the the Great Mormon Temple, and. Um, the the uh, I have a feeling I can't prove it, but my conclusion is that he he sent them specifically to a place where none of his Indians were going to be because he didn't want these lunatics in, influencing um, his precious you know baptized Catholic uh, Indians that he had so painstakingly evangelized and catechized and baptized and 
and it, and, and and instructed and kept going in, in the faith. Uh, because you know he must if he as soon as he got wind of what these guys believed he must have realized this this was like a total loony bin outfit. Well, um, uh, in 1846, the uh, let's see here, Father uh, Pierre Jean Desmet uh, met the Mormon pioneers while they were in their winter quarters in Nebraska, and, and then as you said, brother, he told them of where they could go and go set up shop or set up camp. And they uh, the, they ultimately did uh, something about the Mormons though that I you, you you touched on a nerve a moment ago. There's a television series out called Friend of the Family, and it is about a Mormon family who is living uh, under the care or under the uh, the authority, if you will, of the of the current prophet of the Mormon uh, Church. And they fancy themselves uh, devout Mormons and. Uh, a new family moves in down the street, and uh, and they get to, uh, to to know the new family. And what ultimately winds up happening is the father of the new family is a pederast who grooms the nine-year-old daughter of this family. Now, here's why I bring the Mormons up, because the father, the groomer is outed because he is also grooming other girls, young girls, at Mormon Bible study or Sunday school or whatever the heck they call it. And he gets rat, ratted out by the uh, by the, this set of parents, and they take it to the prophet, or to they take it to the bishop who takes it to the prophet. Then they take it to the council, and then they brought this this groomer in there. So they had actual material evidence that he was a pederast. And you know what they did? What? They just expelled him. They were they were asked they were asked later or the question that the uh, that the mother of the nine year old girl who was groomed who was the subject of the NBC Peacock TV series said well why didn't they how come this never went to the cops because like because the prophet determined that the Mormons that that him being removed from the congregation was punishment enough. And that guy turned out to be, I mean, he was a serial pederast. Uh, he kidnapped that child twice. Took her to Mexico once and pretended to marry her when she was 12. Uh, <clears throat> a serious story there about, uh, and you can watch this, the, 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 the miniseries, it's on Peacock, it's on NBC. It's called Friend of the Family. It's a, and it, it's a true story. Um, and those people ultimately, you know what? The, the husband kind of like, uh, he didn't want to lead the Mormon church because he was, you know, was that brainwashed into it or whatever or committed to it. Uh, ultimately, though, the, uh, the mother and the surviving children ultimately fled Utah and now don't want to be living, I want to say they live in South Carolina now. About as far away as you could get in, on this continent from, uh, from Salt Lake City. Have you ever been to Salt Lake City? No, I never have. I have. Uh, you know what? You know what's around Salt Lake City? Salt. Um, salt. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, min min mineral deposits. Yeah. It, it, it is abs. It, it is. It, it's incredible that there is civilization there because when you leave that area that is Salt Lake City and you cross the Salt Flat, you look in any direction as far as the eye can see, and all you can see, there, there is some water, there's a little bit of water, but all you can see is salt. 
as far as and, and a mountain range off in the distance. It's very barren. No wonder the Indians probably avoid it because they don't want to. They don't want to starve or, or or die of thirst trying to trying to cross it. It's probably why Father just met told uh, Brigham Young and the gang that they could go and settle there. It's a, it's it's not, <laughs> if I were choosing a place to settle, Salt Lake City would 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 certainly not be it. There are some beautiful places like Park City. And in Utah, and you get up into the mountains, but again, it's very arid, very arid. So they they kind of rely on snowmelt there, you know, to get their water. I did not know the story my father just met, brother. Thank you very much. That's yeah. Uh, he, he's one of the great. He's buried in in uh, St. Louis at at the Jesuit, you know, at a Jesuit cemetery in St. Louis. And I've been there. In fact, I just I just dropped a link in the in the chat room to a uh, a, a short little piece on our site with pictures from. Uh, my little pilgrimage to his to his grave. Have you um, uh, 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 have you seen the film Black Robe? Yes. Pretty. I mean, it's kind of based on uh, uh, Father Yogs. Uh, they got some of that right. You know, where they cut his fingers and stuff off. Um, every time I think of Black Robe, that's what I think of. And I think of that movie Black Robe, uh, which has some vulgarity and some other stuff in it that they didn't need to show. I mean, they could have kind of implied it, um, uh, but they didn't. It's an amazing story. And, and, and I know you go to the, uh, to, the, to the pilgrimage every year for the North American martyrs. Nope. That, that, there aren't very many Catholics outside of, of tratty circles, people that are with that particular group that know about the North American martyrs. You know, across the, across the Midwest, there are schools named for them. Uh, in Indiana, there is, is I want to say it's in Indiana, or Indianapolis, is a school named for, for, for Father Brebeuf. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, well, the Jesuits, I mean, keep in mind, the Jesuits at one time were, 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 were good. <laughs> um, and, I mean, you could, you, could, you could, I think you could write a history of the church in the 20th and 21st century and you go back further, just by pick, just by writing about specific Jesuits. For instance, in the 20th century, you had two influential Jesuits, um, uh, who who were bo both of whom were controversial: Leonard Feeney and, and uh, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. And um, of those two, the one who looks like he's going to be really rehabilitated sooner than the other is going to be Teilhard de Chardin. Who is um, who? Pope Francis just praised in um, Mongolia. <laughs> yep. uh, in on his trip to Mongolia, quote, Pope Francis said this extended quote from uh, this this bizarre prayer that was offered by Taylor de Chardin when he was when he couldn't say mass and he was out in the desert oh. uh, in in Asia not too far from Mongolia which was what occasioned make the Jesuit pope to talk about his fellow Jesuit. Make it stop. <laughs> just yeah. make it stop. Oh yeah, and and I, I there's there's scuttlebutt about a possible uh, formal um, uh, rehabilitation because officially there's the, the, there's still a 1961 I think monotum against him. Um, but if you if you if you saw Foundations Restored, which I know you did, I did. You were you were, you were enthusing at about it for a very long time. Um, there's a, there's a whole breakdown of Terre de Chardin in that, which oh, is yes. very worth watching. Um, but he was he was a lunatic, and some people think he was possessed because of his encounter with the thing. And um, 
uh, he writes about he writes about this in the third person of of this man who uh, encounters the thing, and the thing is some spiritual being, which is very. I mean, it, it describes himself to the man as being um, the sum of all good and all evil. Uh, uh, brother, the, this is very interesting. The Colorado Historic Newspaper Collection from November the 4th, 1869 has this that I just found. Father just met was received was received by Brigham Young. Um, he was received by the Mormon apostle who appeared to be a very plain farmer looking man and dressed as plain as any of his followers. Young remarked that in their troubles in Missouri and um, Nuavo, he believed the Catholics had no hand in the outrages committed on his people. And he believed that the Catholic Church was um, more nearly in unison with the Mormon Church than any other. To this, Father DeSmet responded that the two churches might be considered, in his opinion, as belonging to a circle of which the Catholic Church was the head and the Mormon the tail. <laughs> Brigham smiled and did not offer to uh, to uh, resent the plain-spoken comparison of his visitor. He changed the subject and wanted to be informed of the character of the country beyond the Rocky Mountains, with which Father Desmet was familiar with, and what prospects were for making a settlement where they could uh, be peace and not be molested by their enemies. Father Desmet told him that in Oregon and California they would meet with opposition from the people who were pouring in there. So, brother, your memory of your of the account is completely, uh, uh, totally accurate. Do you know where you read it at? Um, I may have read it in the book uh, that I uh, aforementioned, um, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I hear things and I read things, and I, I don't always remember where I got it. Well, and then I mean, and then the story goes on. From 1869, Father Desmet spoke of the Salt Lake region, through which himself and guide had recently passed as a desirable place for a settlement. There was game, an abundance of water, a fine climate, but few Indians. That would be troublesome. So there, <laughs> there you go. I'll send Maggie the link if you want to post it in the chat room. It's an old newspaper that they basically scanned and uh, put into. Uh, let me get to let me get to the right window there. That they uh, scanned and basically made available here on on the internet. Brother, we're we're just about out of time, and you have to get uh, to teaching today. Um, what is on tonight's episode of Reconquest? Well, tonight is the, the uh, last uh, of the little series I did on the uh, imminent trinity and the economic trinity. So it's part three. I was going to say, so the third part. <laughs> Yes, sir. <laughs> okay, uh, and folks, you still have time to register for the St. Benedict Center Conference, which is coming up uh, October the 13th and 14th. That's Friday and Saturday. As you may have heard Sister Philomena doing the uh, advertisement here on the Crusade Channel. It's a great time. Lots of people go to New Hampshire that time of year, not just for the foliage. Uh, but to also rummage through the antique stores, as Sister says. And another great reason to go is the St. Benedict Center Conference uh, with Hugh Owen making his appearance. Is this the first time Hugh has been? 
the first time you'll be at our conference, but not the first time he's been here. He actually gave a talk to our school several years ago. Um, uh, if you haven't seen Hugh speak uh, in person, especially on the subject of Genesis and creation, then you're, you have not done your faith and yourself any favors. You should do yourself this favor and you should go. Uh, there is no finer of an authority. You know, he, he's got a uh, he's got a very dry uh, sense of humor, but it's there. Um, and you also find out that uh, Hugh Owen is the son of someone that, if I were to, to tell you who it was, but I'm going to make you go to the conference to find out because he'll probably tell you. Uh, if I were to tell you who it was, you'd go like, no way. No way. Yes, way. Uh, he's he's a he's a he's an incredible man. He's great to meet. Uh, you landed a great one there for the for the uh, for the conference here. Um, you know, the rest of us would just be batting cleanup. Uh, Sir Charles Coulomb, and of course, brother and sister, and uh, De uh, Christopher DeVos, uh, Joe Doyle, and I th I think that that's the uh, uh, oh and John Sharp and Commander Sharp. Well, I'll be there. It's a great lineup, great camaraderie, a great time to be in New Hampshire. Uh, we're going to pack St. Joseph Hall this year. You're all invited to go. Go to Catholicism.org forward slash conference. Thanks for the plug, Mike. You got it. <laughs> all right, bro. Oh, and you're going to see Sister uh, at the Midwest Conference, I believe, because two of our sisters are going to be going out there. Fantastic. Well, I have someone that I know. <laughs> Sister Maria Philomena and Sister Maria Rosaria should, should both be there. That's the plan for now, anyway. Okay, we could find complimentary hay stalls with the horses not in them to sleep in. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 I heard you earlier talking about this, and I said, you know, uh, Mike's in, Mike might be in for a surprise because at least the one, the, the main one that they did in New York, yep. it's, it's camping out. It's, yeah. So, I hey, was. Uh, I, I have no issue with camping out. <clears throat> no, no issue with it whatsoever. Now, people that get around me after a day or two of not hygiene may have an issue with me camping out. <laughs> but I don't have a problem with it <laughs> at all. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of a combination. For me, with my experience of the pilgrimage, it's kind of a combination of the pilgrimage with the, uh, I mean, the Orisville pilgrimage where you're camping out every night and everybody stinks, so you don't take it personally. Um, Fantastic. It, we can all stink together. Yeah, it's a combination of, of the pilgrimage and a conference. So it's 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 very it's kind of like a biathlon. I mean, you're doing these two things that are kind of kind of related but kind of unrelated, and it's challenging, but um, but also fun. <laughs> well, I was, I was you know I mentioned Michael Matt earlier, uh, and you know he leads that uh, that pilgrimage every year. I think you've been on it uh, to Chartres. No, I haven't been to Chartres. A Chartres. Yes, I'm working on my French. Uh, they camp out for days. Yeah, I mean, and they're they're told, look, there are no hotels on this. <laughs> well, that's what we do, and and for the Orangeville pilgrimage too. Yeah, and I want to say that there's a similar distance, seventy-five miles or hundred kilometers or something like that. Um, uh, the, the one in Orangeville is modeled after the one in Chartres. Okay, great, fantastic. Well, it's a great time of year. So, uh, yes, you have a lot of conferences uh, that you could see TKD at, uh, Catholic Land Movement. And uh, now you, you heard the name of the place that the sisters are going to, Edelweiss. Uh, and, and you got that stupid song in my head, Mike. So, yes, I have heard Success, it. yes. Yeah, well, uh, uh, keep in mind my, my musical background. I, 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 I think in music, so it's... 
it's it's when I get. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's easy to get me get get, get a, a song in my head. <laughs> well, I got the song, that version of it, from The Man in the High Castle, a Philip K. Dick short story that was turned into a, a, a series on Hamilton. <laughs> That's the theme song for every episode. Talk about a, 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 a kicker of a story. The Nazis and the, and the Japanese won World War II. The Nazis occupy the East Coast and have control, and the Japanese, the West Coast, of the United States. That's what the Man in the High Castle is all about. And so there is a contingent of Japanese and Nazis that don't want to be Japanese. Uh, I, I forget the, um, it was a kamikaze, the name with the, um, don't want to be them and they don't want to be Nazis. And so they uh, they open every show with Edelweiss, <laughs> any of them. I'm looking forward to it. I have, I, I've been to that area of Kentucky, tell the sisters. It is beautiful, especially this time of year. They're 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 really going to I think they're going to enjoy it. It's that's that's just it's right in the the, the wheelhouse. Uh, we're close enough to what's called Kentucky bluegrass country, rolling hills, lush fields. I mean, it's it's really really nice. It's beautiful there. Looking forward to it, uh, brother. Uh, thank you very much for this episode of Reconquest coming up and for Wisdom Wednesday. If not sooner, we shall see you next week. Thank you, Mike. See you then. God bless and God bless all our listeners. God bless and God bless all of the wonderful people at the St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire.